Morning, church. Daniel, are you okay? <laughs> uh, no, you just—that was a tired good morning, man. Are you? Worship is taking a lot out of you. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't. Oh, worm! I don't have a worm. I. Ooh, I got some. Hang on. Where'd they go? Who took them? Dan took them. Dan, bring me my stuff back. Dan. Oh, seriously? Where'd they go? Right here. Sorry. Dan, messing with my sermon, Dan. I, yeah. Uh, this is why I kept those back there. Here, man. You want an orange? Okay. Here you go. It's fine. I mean, they're fine. I'll have one, too. Okay. Oh, yeah. Those are good. Mm. Perfectly good. I can't believe I found these perfectly good oranges in the diaper pail. So what's this? Huh? What's this? That's why I was hesitating. Like I said, perfectly good orange in the... That was a crumb from the, the thing. I don't, I don't know where it came from. No, seriously. I'm. I mean, I went in to go check on Quinn and or check on Emery and get her out of class and like, perfectly good. I have no idea why anybody dumped him in the diaper pail. Okay. Oh, I, okay. I, I get it. You're worried I didn't. You're worried I just fished him straight out and gave him to you, dude. I love you. I wouldn't do that to you. I clean these first. I spit shine these things until they sparkle. I, man, everybody needs a little pick-me-up when we're working hard for Jesus. I, did, I mean, there was a worm in there too, but it's been in my hand for a little while, so you probably don't want it now, right? Okay, all right, just, I'll leave it. I, that was staged, by the way, just in case anybody's wondering, Daniel knew what was going to happen, and mostly, most, huh? Mostly, yeah. I... Well, I didn't know I didn't know Dan was going to take my sermon illustration and walk out the door with it. We just never know, right? Like that's the beauty of Sundays. You just never know what God's going to do, right? No. <laughs> just kidding, Dan. Sorry. I <laughs> Okay. So we all chuckle because naturally when we think of, "Hey, here's this really good thing I'm going to eat." And it comes from somewhere that's kind of gross. We have this natural aversion, don't we? That's not a bad thing. It's, it's rooted in something good. I mean, our, our survival, our lowest level of operating, our common sense, our whatever you want to talk about it, okay? There are certain areas that I want to keep things clean. I want to keep things pure before I bring them into me, Right? that makes sense. Are you, are you with me? Are you nodding your head? Okay. All right. That, that does make sense. And that's okay. When we're talking about things like food, that's okay. When we're talking about things like um, getting yourself into various situations, that's okay. But what about people? If we apply that principle to people, 
I can very, very quickly move myself away from the gospel of Jesus. And I can move myself into a lesser gospel, a, a smaller G gospel, if you will, that is really about self-preservation or self-promotion, if I'm not careful. Here's what I mean. What, what, what starts out as a good instinct, the desire to be pure, can develop into something less than pure. The actual desire to be pure can become something that's not pure when it's not held in check by the reality of Christ. There is a big, big word that maybe has been thrown around a little bit in in social and cultural circles recently, xenophobia, okay? Based on two words, fear, the phobia, right? And xeno, strange, fear of the strange or fear of the stranger, fear of one who is strange, And anytime we start talking about this idea of hospitality or this idea of welcoming someone in the name of Jesus, the concept of fear of the strange is something that we're going to bump up against. It's something that we have to check and take into account, and we have to let God redeem it. Because at the heart of looking at people as Jesus looks at them, looking at people the way that God looks at them, there is a push against some of the most basic instincts of humanity. Self-protection, self-preservation, keeping oneself pure. And in the word that Paul and the writer of Hebrews and other New Testament writers use to describe this idea of hospitality, this idea of welcoming someone in the name of Jesus and bringing them in, has that has that Zeno in there, okay? But it's philozenia. Fear of the strange is replaced by phileo, love of the strange, or love of the stranger. And it's that overturning and, and, and getting over that distance from fear into love that we have to give over to Jesus to see not just how he feels about the people that we encounter, but how he responds and to learn how to respond in the same manner. Our text this morning is from the Gospel of Mark. And um, I I cannot take credit for this sermon because it has come out of numerous conversations that I've had collectively with people at this church. Um, We we went over this a couple of weeks ago in our um, Friday morning um, study that we do as a staff, and then it came up again in our young adult study. And so it, it, this, this story of Jesus having to encounter the leper um, has been coming up a lot um, in, in my life um, or in my study. And, and the interesting thing is, is that the more that I've looked at it, the more that I've seen some things that, that really are a comfort to me in this story. And there's kind of a story within the story that I'd like for us to explore a little bit today. As we talk about this idea of hospitality and we talk about kind of where, where this gap is between fear and love and how do I get over this gap of fear to love that is so important if I am going to be Christ to the people around me, but even more to encounter Christ in the people around me. There's some things I have to get over first. We see Jesus in this story heal miraculously, okay? 
And, and this in and of itself is a beautiful thing. And it is a picture of the gospel that Jesus takes something that is unclean and makes it clean. And, and that in and of itself is the gospel. And that is great. And then you look even further into the story. It goes to a step further because before Jesus heals or as part of the healing, he reaches out and he touches this person. And again, you have to understand how leprosy works as a communicable disease, right? You don't touch people with leprosy because you don't want to become leprous. And yet we talk about, and yet we know how important it is to not be ostracized by other people. I mean, there, there, there's even a lot of, there's even a lot of study about the difference in development of, of children who are regularly held versus children who are never held. People who, who are, who are in close proximity, who experience touch from another human being versus people that are isolated and how it actually, it stunts our humanity to not exist in a community of people where we are welcome, both physically, mentally, spiritually, and in all those areas. So there's something to be said very, very deep. This is another very beautiful picture of the gospel about how Jesus reaches out and and touches this person as part of healing and restoring. It's not just healing and restoring the disease, it's healing and restoring the humanity of the person. But what happens before Jesus touches the leper? See, that's the part I want to that's the part I want to talk with you about today. Because I think that there's a gap that Jesus crosses. There's something that happens. There's, there's another piece to this healing that happens even before Jesus reaches out and touches the leper. And it has to do, it has to do with Jesus' response in verse... Um, I'm sorry, um, in verse 41, Okay. Jesus gets indignant. What does that word mean to you? What does that word mean to me? That's a difficult word because in, in my life, I think I know what indignant means. But maybe I, maybe I don't. And, I, and the interesting thing is, is that in Mark, there are two different, I don't... Look, at, look in your Bibles. Maybe you have something different. Do you have something different? Do you have Jesus, it's saying Jesus was moved with compassion? Anybody got that? Just raise your hand. Okay. So some of us have moved with compassion. Some of us have indignant. Okay. All right. So without trying to get this, without trying to turn this into a scholarship lecture, I have news for you. There are very, very early manuscripts of the Bible that have both of these different words in there describing Jesus' reaction. I think that's actually a good thing. Here's the reason why I think that's a good thing. is because one of them, one of them is emphasizing the divinity of Jesus, the fact that he is the son of God, the fact that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Okay? The other one is emphasizing the fact that the word became flesh. And then, as the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus learned 
perfection. Okay, and both of those things are happening at the same time. We're trying, we are trying to understand, whenever we look at Jesus, and I think sometimes we take this for granted, we are trying to understand that Jesus exists as God and man together, okay? And there are many, many, many smarter people in, for many hundreds of years that had many, many, many councils with many, many different wordings of many, many statements to try and describe how those two things work together. But realize that it's a, it's a beautiful mystery. It's a beautiful mystery how Jesus can both be the son of God and act as God and have the full power of God at his disposal something that is just completely mysterious and completely unlike me, and yet also be human and be completely like me and understand me and understand those base instincts that I have to work through in order to be the kind of person that God wants me to be. Somehow he has both. And that is a real comfort to me. And it should be a real comfort to us that we experience both Jesus being moved with compassion and unsettled, brought up short, uncomfortable. And he has a choice to make. The word indignant literally means to find something unworthy. Okay? Or, 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 to, or, to, or to see a lack of worth. And that, that may make you feel really, you, you may say, like, I, Jesus can't do that, okay? Jesus shouldn't do that. Okay? What I would suggest is, is that what we're seeing is Jesus bumping up against that same kind of thing that you and I bump up against when we have to deal with something that is different, that is strange, that is unexpected, that is possibly dangerous. And that just like you and I, Jesus has to make a mental decision and he has to make an emotional decision and he has to make a spiritual decision before he can say, I am willing and reach out and touch the leper. I think it's vital that he has to make that decision because if he doesn't make that decision, then Jesus doesn't actually represent what goes through me as a human when I have to come up against those things and love somebody when it's difficult or when it's strange or when it's hard. I need Jesus to be unsettled in this passage. I need him to be both moved with compassion and holding back going, mm. and I need him to make a decision about what to do. When Jesus becomes indignant, he has to make a choice. He either has to make the choice to see the leper as unworthy and realize the leper doesn't do what the leper is supposed to do, okay? In the society that, that Jesus lives in, you have this communicable disease. You are supposed to stand apart from society. And if you are coming into society, you're supposed to let everybody know ahead of time so they can get out of your way. You have, a, you have a responsibility to say, I am unclean, very loudly. 
And this leper doesn't do it. He just comes right up to Jesus and says, hi, I have leprosy, but I know that if you're willing, you can make me clean. Whoa. He catches Jesus off guard. Just like we have people that come into our lives that catch us off guard. And Jesus has to make a distinction. Do I regard this person as unworthy or not? See, there's something really amazing that happens here. It says Jesus was indignant. But there's a choice that's made for the compassion that moves, the part of God that, see, that is in Jesus. Jesus as God, seeing this person the way his father sees him, that moves him to compassion in spite of being brought up short, in spite of being unsettled. And in essence, Jesus casts his dignity aside. The person, that Ju- the person that Jesus chooses to see as unworthy is not the leper, it's himself. I am unworthy to elevate myself above this person, even though I'm the son of God. And he casts that aside. And I don't, again, I don't think that that's an easy choice for him. And that's why I love that Mark puts this here. Because I think so often we think that Jesus just kind of floats through these decisions with people, that it's very, very easy for him. And then we get frustrated because it's so very hard for us. But there's an image, even that, even the being moved with compassion phrase, there's an image of your guts getting twisted around. That's, that's, that's kind of literally what it means, is Jesus got twisted up in his guts about the whole situation and had to do something. And so the first thing he does before he reaches out and touches the man, the first thing that he does before he pronounces healing, the first thing before the healing happens is he crosses an emotional battleground and chooses not to react to three very, very basic human triggers so that he can be indignant the right way, indignant for someone instead of about someone. And the first thing that he has to cross is he has to cross disgust. He has to get over that. And here's what I mean by that, okay? It's very, very interesting. Read this week about an experiment where psychologists and sociologists would, in a control group, they would bring out an old sweater Okay, very, very old, very, very old sweater, and they would set it in front of somebody. And they would ask them if they were willing to try this on. And most of them would say, well, yeah, sure, I mean, it's kind of old, but I'd try it on. And then they would say, okay, there's just something I want you to know about the sweater, is that it was owned and worn frequently by Adolf Hitler. Would you still be willing to try it on? What do you think about that? What do you think the reaction was? Were most people still willing to try on the sweater? No. No. Most people were not willing to try on the sweater. Those who did try on the sweater talked about how icky they felt wearing the sweater. How something was just fundamentally wrong with them wearing the sweater. Guys, they got the sweater at a thrift store. What does that say about us? 
there is a basic sense in which there is a purity and purity reaction that Jesus has to cross over there. Okay? That somehow ingrained in us, we think that evil is like the orange in the diaper pail. Okay? That somehow something that is, somehow evil could sit in a sweater and get transferred to me. And we know that that's ridiculous, but we still have kind of this like base instinct toward it of like, no, I don't want anything to do with that. And if I have to come in contact with it, it makes me feel icky. I don't want to come in contact with brokenness. I don't want to come in contact with things that are hurting or painful or what have you. Okay. And yet the gospel says, I haven't come to call the righteous. I've come to call the broken. I haven't come to call the people that have all their stuff together. I've come to call the people that don't have it together. I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call the sinners. And you think of most of the practices of the Pharisees that Jesus is trying to work with and that he speaks to. Most of the practices of popular Judaism at that time are based on relative purity. The more pure your life is, the closer you can get to God. And the assumption, rightly so in physical disease cases, is that if the pure comes into contact with the impure, the purity of that object now is in question. Does that make sense? Okay. And this might work with, an, like I said, this might work with an orange and a diaper pail, but it doesn't work with touching Hitler's sweater. What's true on the natural scale is not true on the spiritual scale many times because it's supernatural. And so here in, Mark, in Mark's encounter of Jesus with the leper, we watch him have to make a conscious decision that regardless of the physical risk, Jesus' spiritual standing with God is not going to be jeopardized by interacting with the impure. In fact, the opposite happens, right? Instead of the purity of Jesus being infected by the impurity of the leper, the purity of Jesus rolls out over him, rolls out over the impurity of the leper and makes him pure, right? I mean, that's, that's the message of the gospel is God restoring our purity when we're unable to do so ourselves, embodied in this story of Jesus. But do we actually believe it? And do we actually believe that now we are receptacles of that same purity, of that same gospel, and that when we come into contact with people that are broken, it is not that they are going to come in and mess us up, but it's that if we are connected to Christ, his purity will roll through us and begin to transform them. Do we believe that the same spirit that we have access to is the same spirit that Jesus had access to. We've got to ask that question. More than just disgust, though, Jesus has to deal with contempt. And contempt is a little more subtle than disgust. Okay, we, we know better. We know better than to have that, that reaction of disgust. But... When's the last time you called someone an idiot under your breath? When's the last time I did that? 
When is the last time that I felt superior to somebody else who was making decisions that were different or I felt inferior to my understanding? You say, okay, now you're you're not preaching, now you're meddling. Okay, yeah, I know. I know. I'm meddling with me too. See, I think there's a much more sinister barrier that Jesus has to overcome in order to bring God's welcome into the life of the leper in front of him. He has to overcome contempt. The world that Jesus is in, the world that Mark and Luke and Paul would flesh out more for us in the New Testament, is a world rooted in the concepts of honor and shame. So the things you do aren't just, you don't just do right and wrong. They shape your collective identity in the eyes of the community. You don't just do wrong, you are wrong. You don't just make mistakes, you become the mistake. Do you see people dealing with that today? It may be more subtle, it may not be out in the front as much, but you know it's there. People that have decided because of their mistakes that they are the mistake. There are people walking around us all the time that have that mindset. And like it or not, sometimes we can subtly feed that because we go, well, I know I don't have my stuff together, but at least I'm not fill in the blank. See, the simple fact is, is that some, if somebody really, really obeyed the Torah of God and all of those like little oral addendums that the Pharisees had put on it, they pretty much, the idea of them getting leprosy would be pretty much nil. Simply because of all of the ceremonial washings and the cleaning and the, and the staying away from people that have leprosy and the not engaging in the sort of activities that would cause you to get leprosy. And so at least in some instance... Chances are there is a way that this person in front of Jesus has failed to observe God's law. And so there's a thought process that kind of says, well, you kind of deserve it. Oh, that's a dangerous place to go though, isn't it? Because let's be honest, all of us kind of deserve worse than we're getting. All of us do. And for the leper, he he has become more than just somebody who's physically quarantined outside the town for the good of the town. He's become the stories that parents tell their kids about what happens when you don't do things God's way. And like I said, there's a subtle superiority that can start to underlie it all. You have to realize the mental shift that Paul is describing when he says there is no slave or free, man or woman, Jew or Greek, all are one in Christ. He has to hammer that home in Galatians and in 1 Corinthians and in Colossians. He's having to try to tell folks all over the place because this idea Jesus has leveled the playing field by removing the shame of people and making them one is very, very terribly hard to reconcile in our world. It was then, it still is now. We can say it's easy in theory, but it's really, really hard to treat people that way. 
And yet, if we're ever going to really welcome people in the name of Jesus, we have to learn to treat them that way, that all are being made one in Christ. That those who come to Jesus is level. The message of the gospel from the very, very beginning is make the high places low, bring the low places high, make the rough places plain, and prepare a highway for God to come in. Right? And he's still doing that, and he still is trying to use us to do that, but it's hard sometimes. It's hard. Because I want to feel like I have it together better than that person over there because it reframes and reduces of the reality of how little I've got it together. You know what I mean? If I, can focus on, if I can focus on that other person not having it together quite as much as I do, then it reframes how little I've got it together and how much I need a Savior. The one who's been forgiven little loves little. The one who's been forgiven much knows how to love much. Except the fact is that we've all been forgiven much. And so there is this barrier of, of there, is this, there is this tendency of contempt that we have to jump in order to be able to love people the way that Jesus loves them. This barrier of contempt that Jesus himself has to jump here in Mark 1. We have to jump it too. And then the last one and the probably the most prevalent one is fear. I, I, in 2015, when Donald Trump was making all of his speeches about the wall, there was a, that he was going to build, and I'm not going to get into all of that a lot, but there was one part that really stuck out to me. His most damaging statement about the reason that he was building the wall and the way he identified people that were coming into the United States, and he used a lot of really damaging things, criminals, drug dealers, rapists, etc. But the, the most damaging thing that he said They are sending people not like you. I mean, that's that's the real root, isn't it? Fear of the stranger because they're not like you, you think. See, fear, fear dehumanizes people around us. Fear reduces them to their strangeness. And Jesus has to, in a moment, cast, choose to cast off the idea that this leper is not like him. And you know what? Unlike you and I, he actually probably had the right to do that. He's the son of God. The leper really is, in a way, not like him. He's the word made flesh. This person is definitely not like him all the way. But he makes the choice to identify with him anyway. To throw aside his actual superiority, his fear of contamination, whatever it is, and literally physically embrace this one who is not like him as like him. It's like we talked about a few weeks ago. Like Jesus walks into the situation and says, you're my people. You are my people. See, Jesus actually had to remove the the actual barrier of being not like this person. You and I are only called to remove the perception that this person is not like us. 
And that's something that's had to happen over and over in the minds of God's people. If you look back in the Torah, if you look at Exodus, if you look at Leviticus, if you look at Deuteronomy, in the heart of all of it, there consistently comes up this idea, you shall not oppress or you shall not distance or you shall not refuse welcome to the stranger because you know the heart of the stranger because you were strangers in Egypt. It says it over and over and over again. And that's our reality too. We are all beggars at the table of the king. And it's not right to fear that there won't be enough bread for you and me if we invite more people into the table of the king. It is the adversary, not the father, who uses scarcity of resources or security or familiarity to twist up our fear instead of allowing us to be moved by the love of God, driving out our fear and reservation and replacing it at love. We are all beggars at the table of the king. And the gospel is us going out and telling people where to find bread. A couple of last minute things. I always have to remember that that even though Jesus is all of these things, he isn't operating out of his own power when he does this. Everything from the internal battleground to the actual healing is rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if I'm trying to love out of my own capacity like Jesus, I am quickly going to find myself outside of my capacity. It doesn't work that way. Loving people is a great way to check my power base at the door and have to humble myself before God's power. Because it originates and is sustained by and comes to fruition only in his spirit. The last piece is, is that it's difficult. You look at verse 45 at the end of this story, you think this story turns out like really happy, but in some ways it's very complicated and very messy. Jesus gives this guy instructions and he immediately does not listen. Jesus says, look, just keep this quiet. Go show it to the priest. Tell him that you're clean. Instead, the guy goes into town and goes, look, I'm clean. Jesus touched me. And guess what happens? The community that doesn't understand what's going on now sees a transference of uncleanliness. Look at the, look at the word. As a result, Jesus couldn't go into that town anymore. Why? Because he literally took on the impurity of the leper. He didn't, just remo- he didn't just remove the impurity. He transferred it onto himself. And you know, the funny thing is, is Jesus probably wasn't surprised when that happened. He, he knew the cost when he was getting into it. He did it anyway. He was, w- he was willing to reduce himself and he was willing to take on the mess Because bringing life to that person was worth it. And you know what? You and I will encounter the exact same thing. Helping people is messy. Loving people is messy. Being willing to take on, you know, and and, and bear burdens with people is messy. And it's hard. And a lot of times we will find ourselves in the spirit of Jesus taking on impurity that's not ours. From people that don't understand. And yet the one who goes before us has counted that cost. And was willing to do that. In fact, when we come to the table, he's going to do it for us again, right? 
How much more are we called to do that? And how much more are we called to be that church? I pray that the word falls fresh on your ears today. I pray that it empowers you to accept the cost to be able to truly love and welcome someone in the name of Jesus.